Hi, I'm Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True, True Crime New, New England. England. Welcome back to another exciting episode of our show. This week we are going to a state that we have yet to venture to so far. Maine. Now, Maine is one of those states that you think of truly like lobster, mm-hmm. moose, very basic like naturey things. Yep. Which is all true. Um I, fun fact, went to college in Maine. I went to the University of Southern Maine. Um, It was split into three campuses. So there was Lewiston, and then there was one location in Gorham, Maine, and one location in Portland, Maine. Gorham is a really cute, like, scenic town. Uh, pretty, it's not small, but it's not huge. It's a, it's a good sized town. It's, um, you know a lot of people, but you could also meet a lot of new people. Good size. Um... I could tell you all the different things about it, like the Gorham House of Pizza, there's a great, you know, there's Hannaford's nearby, like, it's technically considered a college town because of the dorms. Sure. So, I lived there for three years with my roommate Mackenzie, who does listen to this podcast. Hi, Mackenzie. She is a big fan. She's the best. Um, So, I lived there with her for three years, of course, until COVID happened. Mm -hmm. I had to bust my ass. I moved out of my dorm within 24 hours, all by myself. I packed up my whole dorm into my Subaru Impreza and I was out of there. It That's was kind of impressive. Yeah, it was I have nightmares about it, not gonna <laughs> lie, it was terrible. Um but until that point I did live at school mm-hmm. and then I went back and finished out college at my house because it was all online and that's a whole nother story for another day. <laughs> Doing nursing online, so blah, blah, blah blah. Oh my terrible. god. But the reason why I'm telling you guys this is because the case we are covering today is out of Maine and until I started doing deep research into this, I didn't realize it was actually in Gorham and Portland, Maine, which blows my fucking mind. How crazy is that? It's crazy, because you think, oh my god, like, I'm not trying to make this about me in any way. Oh god, no. But, like, I lived in Gorham. I went to Portland every single day. This is, could happen to anyone. It's yeah. what it almost brings you, that feeling of, like, this could be me. Of course, the circumstances around this are very different than something I think I'd ever find myself in, but it's that same idea of, like, this could be anyone. Like, I live in Gorham. It's a sleepy, quiet town, you know, very, just a normal town, but things happen, and it's crazy that this case kind of made me think, like, holy shit. Yeah, and it's crazy, too, because the destinations and the places that we'll talk about in this story, you know exactly where they are. I could take you there right now, no yeah, directions. so you can picture them in your mind's eye as we're telling this story, so that's really crazy, too. Yeah, so I'll try and give some insight onto those locations. Yeah. Um, I know there are definitely some points where I was reading it, and I was like, you're fucking serious. Right there, I drove, literally got off the exit where that was every single day wow. for class. Just some crazy shit. So anyway, that's just our kind of winded way of getting into the... The murder we're doing today. And without further ado, we're doing the murder of Robert Robert Joyle. Okay, guys, so like we said, we're doing the case of Robert Joyle. It's pretty sad, and like we were just talking about, it hits pretty close to home to me Mm -hmm. without even really knowing before doing research but it is a very fascinating case so let's get into it of course as always our sources 
we need to give those credits. So Katie, where'd you get your, your info? I found an article on AP News. Um, News Center Maine did a 20 year anniversary article on it. Um, Medium.com was a good resource. Oh. A really interesting article. Okay. And then Robert's little brother, Mark, he posted to a Reddit thread. It's mm. the Reddit unsolved murder thread. And right. that had a lot of good information. I also got most of my information from there. He did a fantastic oh, he job. Did so good. First-hand account of a lot of things, and it really tugs at your heartstrings yeah. for sure. He wrote really well. He did. He did. And he responded to a lot of the comments on the thread, and he was very polite and very straightforward, and he mm-hmm. had a lot of good information. So we got a lot of stuff from uh, Mark Joyle. Um, I also got some stuff from The Chameleon, which was like a, a news website. Sweet. Um, and I got some info from Central Maine News, even though, fun fact, this happened in Southern Maine. Oh. <laughs> um, so let's start with Robert Joyle's childhood. It appears as his brother lovingly calls him Rob. He mm-hmm. liked to go by Rob. Um, he, well, they started on Cape Cod, yep. Massachusetts, which is a great you know, everybody in New England knows where Cape Cod is. It's gorgeous. It's wonderful. Really great beaches. Very popular tourist destination for sure. Um, they lived there until Robert was about nine, mm-hmm. and then they moved to Houston, Texas. Yeehaw. Yeah, so they moved to Houston, Texas so that Rob and Mark's father could pursue a job with his own father. Um, he owned a company that sold fiberglass grading, so that kind of stuff was used for flooring and warehouses mm-hmm. and, and such and things like that. So cool. it was a good job opportunity, so yeah. that's why they moved down to Texas. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So they ended up living there for nine years, um, so this brings Rob to about 18. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you know, Rob, he was a football player. He was very athletic. Um, he, His brother Mark says that he was a little shorter than other players, but that did not stop him from being a fantastic running back. His passion made up for his height. Mm-hmm. And not that height matters or anything, but in football it can have an uh, impact on your performance. Yeah. Robert did not let it impact his performance. He loved football. He was so good at it. So as only a sophomore, he was moved from JV to the varsity team. Um, He was playing as a running back for the Clear Lake Falcons. Pretty cool. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know much about uh, football. I'm a baseball girl, but it's intense. And, you know, you got to have a lot of passion for that. And I find that a lot of people who play football do have that passion. Yeah. Definitely sounds like Robert did. For sure. Um, And in one article that I read, Mark had said... Um, his brother was so kind and always loved family, mm-hmm. and he was really, really good about making Mark feel, you know, not left out and not like the little yeah. brother. And right. he said that one time there was a huge game, and it was a really big game for Rob. He scored three touchdowns in Damn. one game, okay. and the first thing that he did after the game was over was run to the sidelines to hug his mom. Oh, that so gave me chills. He was, he's a sweet family-oriented boy. Yeah. He's, he's very, very good with his family. Right. And his brother, Mark, is seven years younger, so that's mm-hmm. a pretty big age gap. I'm sure you can assume the, like, always wanted to be with his older brother, mm-hmm. and his brother just wants to be with his friends, whatever. It sounds like Robert really liked being a part of, like, that family aspect. Yeah, and they so were sweet. really close, and yeah. Mark said that Rob always made him feel welcome and included, and instead of going off with his friends and leaving oh. Mark sitting in his room by himself, he would invite Mark to go play with him and his friends. That's very kind. So that was really, really sweet. Yeah. Um, 
to go on top of Rob being such a great family guy, every summer when they lived in Houston, they would go back to Cape Cod mm-hmm. and visit with family, stay at his grandparents' house, and again, like we said, Cape Cod in the summer, forget it. Amazing. Gorgeous. And now, another fun fact about Robert is that he was a huge horseback rider, which I thought was so cool. He was very talented, and Mark even said that he thinks towards the end... Robert was just going back to those camps so he could be with his, like, childhood sweetheart. Her name was Natalie, and I thought that was so cute. I thought that was adorable. Like, if a man did that for me, go to horseback camp? Oh, come on. It's just sweet. Like, it is very Rob sweet. Rob was a very sweet guy. Yes, he, he really was, and it was clear that he liked his, he liked his hobbies, and he mm-hmm. liked the people involved with them, mm-hmm. and he stuck with that. So yeah. that's very sweet. Now... I think it was around his sophomore year of high school, Robert's grades started to kind of slip. Um, and that's when his football coaches kind of approached him and said, listen, schoolwork before f- football, and they pulled him off the team. Mm-hmm. Now, as someone who is so into football, you can imagine that's pretty devastating. And so this is kind of where it started to go downhill for Robert a little bit. He started to get in more trouble, um, and his grades kind of dropped even more. Yeah, so football was Rob's outlet, and it was also where he felt like he belonged. He had all his friends through football, and once he left the team, he didn't have an outlet for his energy or anything anymore, and he felt like he was alienated from his friends. Even though, you know, they were still kind of friendly, and they saw each other in the hallways, it just wasn't the same. Of course. So yeah, he started to get into more trouble. Um, There was a situation where his parents decided that maybe Clear Lake wasn't the best fit for him because of all of the trouble that he was getting into. Mm -hmm. They tried to send him to school in Cape Cod to stay with his grandparents, but that did not work out either, so he came back. Um, He would go back and forth to Cape Cod, though, as kind of a break from Houston, Texas. There was kind of um, drugs and gangs seeping into the suburb that they thought was safe. Right. And there was one occasion where... Rob was supposed to get on a plane to Cape Cod to see his grandparents, and he snuck out. No. And when he snuck back in, he had a bag of weed. Oh. And, you know, he's doing his thing. It's dark. He dropped the weed, but it had ripped and spilled all over his bedroom. Oh, no. His mom walked in and saw a trail of weed all over his bed, his carpet, and she's like, what is this? And she goes to flush it down the toilet. And Rob is denying up and down, that's not mine, That's someone must have put it there, that's not mine. And finally she goes to flush it, and he goes, no, wait, don't flush it, that's mine. Yeah, yeah. And that was where the parents were like, what is going on with this kid? What is going on with their son? He's really right. gotten into some trouble. So this is where they kind of take a turn in an attempt to get him in the right spot. Mm-hmm. They move to Gorham, Maine. This is November of 1997. So like I was saying in the intro, Gorham, Maine is a very... It's a good-sized, calm, quiet town in Mm -hmm. Maine. Very unassuming. And there was one article, I believe it was the actual post from Mark, where it said he went from a high school of 3,000 kids to just 800. Yeah. Which, um, Katie, our graduating class, was just about 390 kids. Yeah, we were right under the line of 400 kids in our graduating class, so we had a big high school. So factoring all that in, you know, with all the other grades, it was, that's a pretty small size school considering that half of that was just our grade alone like you know what I'm saying so he went from a really big school to a really small school and that can be hard to adjust to um, especially when you're a teenager at this point he's uh, 
18 yeah. and he's a senior in high school. This is his senior year, so he's with all of these other kids. He's the new kid in oh, town yeah. at the school. And everybody at school already knows each other, and, you know, they're going into their senior year, and here comes right. this new kid. Oh, yeah. Um, they would make fun of him for how he dressed. They said he dressed kind of weird and wore his hair weird. And yeah. he was really hoping to get on the football team and right. start, you know, start over. And he really didn't want to get in all this trouble. And he, right. he told Mark, he said, I don't want to be getting in trouble. I'm going to join the football team. I'm mm-hmm. going to turn it around. Yep. He gets to this high school, and they don't even have a football team. <laughs> they're such a small school, they have no yep. football team. So... There goes Rob's chances for an outlet and to make yep. friends, so he was really crushed. Oh, yeah. this Again, this is a small town. I know my college, uh, we didn't have football either. Um, we just had, like, hockey and basketball, and it was all D3. Like, it's very, you know, it's quiet town. Right. You're not going to find big leagues like that. Mm-mm. So, obviously, like you said, he was pretty crushed. But... Fortunately, he was able to make some friends. There is one girl that he was pretty close with. Her name was Monique Gaudet. Um, it's kind of speculated if it was his girlfriend. It sounds like it was. Yeah. Um, but his friend, nonetheless, she introduced Rob to her friend, uh, Tanya Harriman. And then Tanya had a boyfriend. His name was Michael Atienza. So they were all buddies. They clicked. And from the outside, it appeared that they were all very close. Yeah. Um, that's what Mark said in his Reddit thread he said they were very close and what they thought was a really good friendship maybe you know it came out later that maybe it wasn't the best like there was some sketchy stuff going on Mm -hmm. but nonetheless they were pretty tight um which is what kind of what rob needed when he moved but i think he found it unknowingly of course in the wrong places yes so this ultimately brings us to april 3rd in 1998 um the school year is winding down rob is now in a good friendship with these four well, it's the four of them they're pretty tight he has his girlfriend um and today today's a really exciting day because one they got rob a new car well it's new to him mm-hmm. a used car he's very excited and as you would be I, I think it was even like a truck he was pretty pumped yeah a ford bronco yeah he was pretty excited and that's a that's a manly car so yeah. rob was like hell yeah and um another exciting thing about that day was that rob was moving out he got an apartment with his buddy, so he was moving to Portland, and he was very excited. That's the kind of independence he wanted, mm-hmm. which I can't blame him. So he was gearing up for a good day, for yeah. sure. So kind of the circumstances around Mark moving out. So there have been some family conflict as his grades continued to slip here at the new high school. Right. Trouble kind of followed him. He ended up getting into a pretty big fight with one of the popular basketball players at school. He didn't know who this kid was. He just kind of got in his face. And, you know, Rob is not one to back down from a fight, which Mark has always said was true growing up. And we'll see that again as we talk about this case later on. For sure. Um, But the fight with this kid on the basketball team only alienated Rob from the rest of his peers. And got him into a lot of trouble. So Mm -hmm. his parents actually had kicked him out of the house um, he had stolen $100 from his mom's emergency cash fund. He ended up staying with his girlfriend, but most of the stuff was still at the house with the family. Right. They wanted to give him another chance. It didn't work out, so they ended up deciding that as long as Rob finished his senior year, mm-hmm. he pulled up his grades enough to graduate, because at this point it wasn't looking like he was going to graduate with his grades. Right. As long as he graduated, got okay grades, he could go be independent and live with mm-hmm. his friend. And Rob said, you know what? I feel like this is a good plan. Right. And everybody was really excited. They were hugging. His mm-hmm. mom bought him a whole bunch of groceries. Yeah. and Which is very kind. 
he was really excited. Um, and then his little brother, Mark, they would fight over a baseball cap. Yeah. And Mark had actually given his baseball cap to Rob. And Rob said, Very sweet. I'm going to hire you to help me unpack. I'll see you tomorrow. Oh, that's sweet. But as we know, that day never came. That didn't happen. And it's so sad reading that Reddit article from Mark. He was so lovingly talking about his brother. And he said, I remember that day we played basketball for hours and hours until it was time for him to leave. And that clearly stuck with Mark because Mm -hmm. that's his last memory of his brother. Yeah. And it was a very pleasant one, which is so nice. And it's just going off of what we said earlier. He was a family guy. Mm -hmm. He really liked being with his family. And, you know, he knew that he was kind of going down a dark path and he was having trouble. But he always, at the end of the day, was trying to, like, be with his family. And Mm so, you know, it... Hearing that Mark had this really nice memory of his his brother before he passed, it's it was very sweet to read, but it breaks your heart. It's it's so sad. He says he remembers playing basketball with his brother, and then his brother taking his ball cap, mm-hmm. and then him Robert gave his dad a hug after they got a pep talk, and then he drove off, and that was it. And that was it. And he had expected to see him the next day like, to help him unpack. Yep, and, and he was, I'm sure, very excited. I think he was about 11 at this point. He was so 11, he was, yeah. He was like, oh, my big brother, you he know? He was so excited yeah. to hang out at his new apartment with him and his new friend. And... Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. he was he was excited for his brother. And, I mean, Robert was pumped, too. Of course. Because that day, you know, he drove off to Portland, which is about 25 minutes, like mm-hmm. I said, from Gorham. And dropped his stuff off at his new apartment and he went out with his friends and that um his friends being who we mentioned earlier monique tanya and michael Mm -hmm. um and i believe maybe even with his friend andre mckay which is who he moved in with that was the buddy he was living with yeah and there was a couple more um they said overall in total with rob and his friends there was a group of about six of them yeah so they had so yeah they had a good group and they um went to a 21 and under club called the metropolis I don't know of this club myself. I don't know if it's still there, but it was in Portland at the time is what they were um, saying. So they went and they were, you know, a dance party club. They were going to have a good time. There's no mention at anywhere of like substances or like alcohol. So that's not even in the conversation. We mm-hmm. don't know what if they did any of that. I right. can't even tell you there's any evidence that they did anything. They just went to a club in Portland. Great old time. Unfortunately, it didn't go so great. Um, This is where there was a fight between Robert and some other teenagers, and it started to get physical, or it started to seem like it was going to get physical. So this is supposedly when Monique, Robert's girlfriend, was like, why don't we get out of here? You know, why don't we move along so something doesn't escalate? Um, By this point, it was about very early on April 4th in 1998. Mm -hmm. Yes. So they hopped into a van that belonged to one of the members of the group, and they drove to a Denny's nearby. That was kind of like the spot to be. Um, yes. Once you went to the club, you'd go to the Denny's after. It's still open 24 hours. And, and it still is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the spot to be. Yep, and I know exactly where this Denny's is. So the way you get to my mm-hmm. college campus in Portland is you get off this um, one exit off onto Forest Ave, and as you're looping around, like merging, the de- it like loops around the Denny's. So, yeah. So I've passed it every single day for 
three years, same Denny's every day. And it always was like kind of run down and like quiet and dirty. Like it it was, but it was still open 24 hours a day. And I know a lot of people, you know, that I went to school with that went there to do homework at like 3 a.m., that kind of thing. So that was even 20 years later, that's the place to be. (laughs) Wow. Oh, yeah. So when they got to this Denny's in Mm -hmm. Portland, um, this is where it got bad. Unfortunately, things started to go downhill. Michael Atienza, his buddy, one of those original buddies, got out of the car and met with this guy. Um, For the sake of this man, we're not going to try and pronounce his name because it is, I believe, Cambodian. Yeah, it's a pretty long Cambodian name. And I don't want to butcher it, even though he is a semi-sketchy character in this story, but I don't want to butcher it, so we just called him P.T. Yeah, and the news, um, and Mark actually refers to him as P.T. too, so he was kind of known to his friends as P.T. Yeah, so Michael gets out of the car, and he starts to have an altercation with this PT guy. And it starts to kind of become clear that this was an ambush mm-hmm. on Robert and his friends. Not necessarily Robert in particular, but, like, his friend group. This was for sure planned. Yes, they were lured there. They Somebody knew that they were going to be going there, and they were waiting for them. Mm-hmm. So PT um, basically lunged and punched Michael in the face. Um right outside of the van. So it said that he got punched in the face and he dropped and, like, slid under the van. Mm. Like, he was like, oh, shit. And, of course, if you're in the van and you see this, you jump out and you're like, what the fuck did you just do? Especially someone like Robert who's strong. And he was, he got out of the van and he was like, what is going on? Like, he wanted yeah. to fight and, like, protect his friend. Mm-hmm. Um, the people from the other cars waiting come out and they have bats, metal pipes, knives, and one witness had said that one of them had brought a machete. Oh so my God. they came for a fight. And Robin is friends unarmed. So oh, this yeah. is totally unfair. Complete ambush. They had no idea. This was at like mm-hmm. one or two in the morning. So it's early. It's dark. Mm-hmm. It's April in Portland. So it's starting to get lighter, you know, a little earlier. But it's still technically in that time period where it's pretty dark in the and morning. it's still cold. They're and all wearing jackets. Cold. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At this point... Everyone's out of the van, and like you said, those people who are waiting in their cars are out with their weapons, including a machete. If that doesn't tell you pre-planned, I don't know what does. That's a huge indicator of just already, they're ready to do something. So, now everyone's out. Apparently, I saw a whole bunch of different numbers um, from my different sources. Some said like 30, some said 60. Some people said there was as many as 100 people in this parking lot Mm -hmm. fighting. 2 a.m. at Denny's in Portland, Maine. What the hell? And this doesn't include the people inside eating or the right. people inside not involved with this waiting in their cars. Right. And it's, it's crazy. It's a total hell fest. It's like a mob. So what ended up happening was Rob ended up fighting with a kid named Kevin Janesco. Rob and his friends all got pulled apart from each other and they were engaged in their own fights. Um, Rob eventually had Kevin on the ground and he was punching him in the face and essentially beating the shit out of him. I can't say I really blame him so much because they were completely ambushed. Mm -hmm. Robert was trying to protect himself, trying to protect his friends. And I'm sure they were all very confused. Like, what the 
fuck. Like, Your adrenaline's going. Oh, the yeah. The heat of the moment. Again, it's very early. They mm-hmm. were just, you know, at a club partying. So they're, they're probably like, you know, already like in a jazzy mood, like, you know, reared up and ready to go. So this, they are just protecting themselves at this point. And again, we're talking like upwards of a hundred people fighting. You can picture it in like a movie scene where everyone's fighting someone else. Mm-hmm. A lot of bad shit going on, for sure. And this is when Kevin Janisco takes Robert by the shirt and lifts it over his head. So you can almost think, like, from the back, he lifts it up and puts it over his face so Robert can't see anything. Mm -hmm. And this is reported from his friends. They saw this happen. And from there, someone, nobody knows who, well, I'm sure somebody knows who, but we don't know who... Somebody stabbed Robert in the back three times. He was completely immobilized by this shirt over his head. And Mm -hmm. as you can imagine, I'm sure, you know, think of like a, I'm sure your little, if you have like siblings or evil older cousins, they probably, you know, it's a simple like bully technique really to put your shirt up over someone's face. Mm -hmm. So he was completely immobilized and he now had three stab wounds in his back. So he's bleeding. And this is when the sirens are heard. So someone either sitting in their car or inside the Denny's had called 911. So someone had called the police and you could hear sirens. So yep. people began yelling, cops, the cops are coming, 5 yeah. and the crowd scattered. Um, Rob was left in the parking lot in a pool of blood and he was dead before the police arrived. One of the stab wounds had severed part of his spine. Oh. Um, and they said that the knife, the knife was, whoever had stabbed him had just thrown. Dropped it. The knife, like it a was a 10-inch double serrated blade. So it's not just a knife that you steal from the kitchen. This no. is like a weapon. Oh, yeah. And now this is the part that also makes me really sad because I know this area. So the Denny's is located right off of this exit. Um, I think it's 5B um, on this uh Highway, So you go off and it's like one of those ones where you do like a circle kind of. Mm-hmm. And so you pull off and on the left is the Denny's. And then you keep going straight about, I literally am not good with measurements, but I want to say maybe 0.1 miles. You're at this intersection. And then all in the background, like another 0.1 mile away is main medical center. So they are, I want to say about less than 0.2 miles from... Maine Medical Center, which is the biggest hospital in Maine. Mm -hmm. I did a clinical rotation there, which is why I know that this is the location. And I was reading this and I was thinking, he was less than three minutes from a hospital. Right. He was stabbed so brutally. Severing someone's spine? That is cold-blooded murder. And that's no joke either. That takes pure, blunt force. Yep. And it's just it takes strength to and sever somebody's spinal cord yeah you it might sound like that'd be easy to do but it's not Mm-mm. and especially getting through all the skin and the cartilage i mean it's protected very well for that reason so the fact that someone deliberately stabbed him enough to sever his spinal cord that's that is so fucked up and thinking about how close he was to that hospital mm-hmm. just breaks my heart because it is such a it's so close and it's such a good big, well-known, very important hospital. Like, I work at a small hospital, and, like, if we have babies that are, like, preterm or have problems, we send them to that hospital because yeah. ours is so rinky-dinky, you know what I'm saying? So Maine Med is a huge place, and he was so close, and they, he didn't make it. It's crazy to think that, you know, as kids are yelling, 5 cops, everybody run, 
the whole crowd scatters and you just imagine everybody running and the parking lot emptying and then there's Rob laying. There was one person left. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So of course, you know, the police come upon this and he's dead. Like Katie said, they found the knife um, that somebody had literally used to stab. Whoever did it just threw it Mm -hmm. away. They didn't give a shit, which is stupid as fuck. Now, you'd think because there were so many people, again, we're talking upwards of a hundred people. You'd think someone would come forward and say, this is what happened. This is who did it. That never fucking happened. There are some theories, there are some things that happened that led us to believe who the person was, but it never was necessarily proven. So let's start by talking about the number one suspect. And he was the number one suspect because he, at first, he admitted it. Yeah, so um, the rival group that had met them in the Denny's parking lot, they weren't just a group of teenagers and young men. They were all affiliated with this gang. Mm -hmm. So it's a Southeast Asian gang called the Tiny Rascals. Um, this, much to Rob's family's frustration, was kept out of the press. Right. In fact, the police had gone to Rob's family and had said, we believe without a doubt that this was gang-related. Yes. And then within hours of telling the family that Rob's death was gang-related, they're telling the media that Portland does not have a gang problem. Right. Don't worry, there's no gang involvement with this case. Right. So already the family was very frustrated at the mishandling of this case. This happens a lot in small towns Mm -hmm. and quiet states like this because they don't want to associate with any gangs or any uh, activity that would make anyone outside of the state believe that it was like a dangerous place to live. Mm -hmm. Portland is the same thing. You know, Maine is a very quiet, safe state. In fact, all of New England is fairly safe. I would say without maybe the... Massachusetts being maybe the one. Yeah, there's uh, some pockets in you know yeah. Manchester, New Hampshire, and yeah, there's, there's some pockets in Mass. And but, like any state. Yeah. But New England is known for being a very safe state. So, of course, Portland is going to deny straight out that there's gang activity. And to be fair, this gang did come out of Massachusetts, so mm-hmm. they had traveled north um, to get here, which is about, I mean, depending from the Massachusetts border to Portland, it's not more than an hour or 30 minutes. Like, we're really compact up here. So I can understand why they would. I mean, I understand why they did. Wasn't right, but that's just something they wanted to do to protect themselves as Portland as a town. For sure. Mm -hmm. So the three cars that were waiting for Rob and his friends were identified. So the first car was a red Mustang. It had 15-year-old Sejas Ray, Sam Kim, and his brother Soon, as well as Tana Ork, their cousin, who had lived in Lowell, Mass, and had come up for a birthday party. So while Lowell was one of the primary hubs for the gang, they did have a couple members in Portland or a couple members all over, but Mm -hmm. um, most of them traveled from Lowell. So the second car, it was described as a blue compact car. It had Kevin Janesco, PT, and about three other people. Mm -hmm. The third car was a dark Toyota with mass plates, Massachusetts plates. Sure. And it was driven by another Kim brother named Voon and three other men from Boston. And this is the car that had the weapons in the trunk. So all the machetes and the baseball bats Mm -hmm. and... Which, so unnecessary. A machete... Come on. That's <laughs> like, like going to do real damage, and they know that. So, um, Seha Srey, he was 15 at this time, and he had a 14-year-old girlfriend named Nicole Glover. Um, apparently, Srey called Nicole and said, 
I killed Robert. I was the one who murdered Robert. Now, Nicole, being a great 14-year-old girl, called the police and said, my boyfriend just admitted to me that he killed Robert Joyle. Mm -hmm. Now, the police, of course, followed up with that. This was only three days after the murder. So if he was feeling guilty or whatever, he really dropped quickly. Like, he couldn't hold it anymore, which, you know, can it happen? Seha had said over the phone that he had stabbed Rob after someone had said racial slurs towards the gang and that it really upset him. Mm -hmm. um, he also said that he was part of the gang and that he was at the Denny's that night. Um, and then when police went to confront Seha and say, hey, you know, someone came forward and said that you were part of this, mm -hmm. Seha had told police that not only was he not at the Denny's um, and he was not a part of the gang, he did not stab Rob. Right. But then one of Seha's friends had come forward and said, Seha asked me to lie and be part of his fake alibi. Oh, geez. But he actually was at the Denny's and I, he was a part of this. Right. That's terrible. So it kind of started to seem more and more like Seha was, in fact, the one who, you know, was the one who killed Robert Doyle. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, two years later... Seha was in jail. He spent two years in jail when a local defense attorney completely destroyed the prosecutor's accusations and Sray was set free, which is really fucked up because um, they thought they had someone. They thought they had who killed him. And now it seemed like, well, now he's free. He was 17, did two years in jail mm -hmm. for killing someone. And now he was free. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a lot of speculation now um, with what happened after the trial with the people who were involved in the trial. Sehasre, um, in 2007, he was about 25, I think. He was shot and killed in another gang-related act of violence. I think it was a drug deal gone wrong. Um, yeah, so in October of 2007, Seha, he was 25, like you said. Mm -hmm. He was shot in the head and killed after a fight. There was an issue. Um, it was a drug debt. It was oh. $7,500 in drug debt that they were disputing with um, a rival group. Yeah. Seha had actually shot at them and tried to run, and they fired back and shot him in the head, and they killed him. And it's crazy because the same person who killed Seha a few hours later was a part of like a police chase, and he killed himself in his car. That's crazy. So it was like this one supposed murderer was murdered, and then the guy who murdered him murdered himself. <laughs> It's just, it's ridiculous. So when Seha was arrested and then charged for the crime, his defense team had kind of started to poke holes in, you know, everything. Everything. They basically came to the conclusion that all of the stories and lies surrounding the case, not just from Seha changing his story, but there were a couple other instances where stories were changed. Mm -hmm. So Tana Ork, the cousin of the Kim brothers that was there that night, he came forward after being picked up for an unrelated crime in Lowell, and he mm -hmm. told police there that he knew more about the crime with Rob Joyle and that he had seen Seha stab Rob in the back. So this was where Tana Ork became kind of the star witness against Seha. Mm -hmm. But actually, it turned out that when Tana was picked up in Lowell, he said that he had seen a 14-year-old Vietnamese boy stab Rob. Interesting. And so Lowell PD called Portland and said, hey, I think we have someone here for you. you got to come down and interview him. Right. Portland PD came down and Tana immediately changed his story and said that they said that he saw Seha instead. Oh my God. So this immediately removes the star witness out of right. the case. Um, and then also the defense had said that 
they were thinking the killer was a fully-fledged member of the Tiny Rascal Gang and mm-hmm. that Seha was so young, he was only 15, right. and he wasn't actually an official member. They think that they were using Seha to take the fall for this, yeah. so to save one of the members of the gang. For sure. Yeah. That definitely sounds possible. Um, and there was an incident. This is chilling. So oh. just a few months after Robert was murdered, he was murdered on April 4th, so this is the summer. Okay. Um, Robert's father was at the South Portland Main Mall doing some shopping. He actually ran into Kevin Janesco, the guy that Rob was fighting and, you mm-hmm. know, who had mobilized him and pulled the shirt over his head and right. and really played a part in this. And, you yeah. know, you would think Kevin is laying on the floor as Rob is hitting him. He would be the one to see to s- who stabbed Rob. Oh, for sure. So I assume that when Robert's father had seen Kevin... He had gone over to speak with him, or... I think I would, honestly. I would go to confront him. Or they... I know for sure that they exchanged words. Yes. Um, Kevin had told Rob's father that even though he personally didn't see who killed Rob, he stated, nobody will ever find out who did it because nobody will ever tell. So what had happened after this case, after the stabbing, once it came out that it was gang-related... Other kids who were there, you know, just at the Denny's eating or mm-hmm. with Rob, part of that friend group, yep. parents were starting to freak out and they were telling their kids, do not open your mouth, do right. not say anything, this is gang related, mm-hmm. do not get involved. Yep. And to this day, not a single person has come forward either out of fear right. or that they genuinely didn't see something, but the amount of people in that parking lot, we know for sure somebody saw something Some, and they are just to. refusing to come forward. They literally, and I saw this in a few different places, the word snitch came up Mm -hmm. several times. People are genuinely scared. 22 years later, almost 20, no, 23 years later, I'm sorry. They're still scared to come forward and say, I saw who killed Robert Joyle. I mean, this gang, to be fair, is no joke. They show up to a Denny's in Portland, Maine with a machete. Yeah, that's some serious shit. I would be scared too, but Mark, Rob's little brother, now is an adult, Mm -hmm. he has been putting up flyers still to this day and contacting police. And he hopes that, you know, now that everybody's older and maybe have children of their own, Mm -hmm. they will see that coming forward is the right thing to do. Oh, for sure. And he hopes that someone eventually will come forward just so the family gets closure, if not justice. Right. They just want closure. I don't blame them at all. And like you said, and like we've been saying this whole time, Gorham, where he lived the, the final few months of his life, that's a very small town. You don't forget a case like that where Mm-mm. it's one of your own, even if it was someone who lived there for a short time. You don't forget that. So people undoubtedly still talk about this case. I know we have small ones in our hometowns that people still talk about X amount of years later. The fact that Mark is still putting up posters and talking about it, it's sad that he still doesn't have the answer mm-hmm. to the awful, brutal death of his brother, somebody he admired very much. And something that you would think would have come out with information by now. With that many people, it, it's very sad. It's really, really scary. And I think, too, a lot of the parents who were telling their kids, you know, don't come forward, stay out of this, this mm-hmm. isn't your issue. I'm yeah. sure those parents were freaking out internally, too, because oh, yeah. not only is there this really scary gang in their small town, yeah. their child could have very easily been in Robert's position. Right, it, it could have been their child instead of Rob. For sure. So I think that must have scared them shitless, too. Yeah. But, you know, it's been 23 years, and this family's still... time. Yeah. I think it's time they 
finally let this poor boy rest. You know, he he was killed just before graduation, mm-hmm. and, you know, he had just, just, just moved into a new apartment. He didn't even get to unpack his stuff. Very sad. Yeah, so if anybody happens to have any information on this case, contact the Maine Cold Case Division. Yes, please, and I know at least a few people from Maine will be listening to this because of my friends that I have in Maine. Um, they should definitely, definitely if they know anyone who was around Gorham at that time, should definitely reach out um, and to the where Katie just said and leave a tip if you know something. Because 23 years later, nobody's come forward. It breaks your heart. But ultimately, that is the murder of Robert Joyle. Very sad, very upsetting. And Mark, his little brother's perseverance and voice for him is so humbling and it's so important to hear and listen to what he has to say because he's he's really deep in it and he just wants to give his brother justice yeah and his poor mother too i can't even imagine heartbreaking so yeah that was a tough one um but it's always good to bring light to unsolved cases and i'll say it every fucking time my hometown very close to my heart unsolved the only thing i ever want to do is get things solved so if even just talking about it does anything all we can do yeah but thank you very much for listening guys we have a few places you can reach out to us if you want to share your opinion or send us some stories we have had some people like email us we've had some dms very cool every yeah, it's time. been awesome um you can find us on twitter and instagram at true crime any all lowercase yes we are having a very slow time at twitter so if you want to <laughs> come join us and uh get some true crime content, please come join us. Um, we also have an email, truecrimene at gmail.com. You can definitely email us there. You can also find us on Spotify, Pocket Casts, Apple Podcasts, Breaker. There's a whole bunch you can find us at. And you can even find us at anchor.fm, mm-hmm. which is where we distribute our podcasts and we cannot speak highly enough of. It's been so helpful and it's free too, which is a huge plus. So oh. we cannot say enough good things about Anchor. For sure. And with that, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.